This is the Self-Taught or Not podcast with Dylan Israel and Eric Hanchett, where we teach you the do's and don'ts of software development from two software development professionals, one self-taught and one not. Today, we're going to be diving into a little bit of a smorgasbord of this struggle, as the French say, uh, specifically having to do with junior devs. It seems that many people when they get in the industry seem to have the same concerns regarding, you know, when they're getting their first job or as a junior dev, whether it's um, when to know to jump jobs, when to, uh, you know, how often to ask for help, if you should ask for help, you know, what, what is a acceptable salary? And we've talked about that, uh, but you know, what sort of jumps should you get salary? We're going to talk a little, little bit about everything from a junior dev perspective and the things that they're concerned about. We've talked about before about how to get that first job a little bit. We've kind of touched that, touched upon that in, few, in previous episodes. But there's more than just being able to get the job. It's how do you act when you're you're on that first week, you're brand new, fresh dev, and you are looking to make an impact. Like how how do you do that, and and what are the struggles that you you see? And I you know I've been reading a lot of of forums and, and Reddit and other places. And it feels like, yeah, the struggle is real, especially people seem to have a lot of regret when they get their first or second job and they find out that it's not exactly that they expect or they think they feel stuck. So yeah, I'd like to dive into this and talk about those topics. Yeah. I think one of the most unfortunate things that when you're, when you get your, you know, you're in your first one year or two year at a job is there's a bit of a I'm scared to actually ask for help. I'm scared to take time away from the senior engineer or the tech lead or, you know, the the upper level developers who are sort of your peers, but you don't see them as your peers. And it almost requires a mentality shift at, at the same time. I know it's it and I think it's it's a balance too between being able to get help and then trying to figure out things yourself. I, I go back to my first internship in college. I was working for, I got an intern at a Fortune 500 company. And I I remember being in that internship and really feeling like, man, maybe I should just work really, really, really hard um, and not bother the senior devs at all. And I was thinking, and at first I was like, no, no, maybe I should bug them. And then at least the, the environment where I was in, it was really discouraged to to bug your, your senior devs. And I don't know if it was because I was doing it too much or what it was, but I would literally come to a, a senior dev and I'd be like, hey, I'm stuck on this problem. And I, I felt like some resistance. They weren't sitting there and helping me and trying to figure out the problem. They were kind of like, well, I think it's this, but you know, I'm not really sure, maybe you should talk to this person. And then I would talk to this person and that person would be like, well, you know, I don't really have much, much confidence in this. Maybe you should talk to this person. And then there was like, well, this other person used to handle this all the time. Now, why can't you handle it? And you kind of feel bad. And I think the internship I went, was in was more cutthroat. I definitely felt like they weren't looking to nurture me and, and, and get me up to the speed. It was like, okay, you need to just grind. You need to just take this stuff home, spend six hours on it, and just figure it out yourself. I don't know. Have you been in a situation like that, Dylan? I mean, I would say, like, I, I've, I've talked about this before, where I say, like, seven out of ten places you're going to work are going to suck. 
And so you have to kind of find that three out of 10. Uh, it's sort of, you know, I mean, there's lots of reasons to job hop around, but yeah, I, I have, unfortunately. And I've gone home and I've put the hours in, I've gone home and done all that. And to, to be quite frank, I don't, I think it's a good sign of what a terrible environment is. And like a lot of times the reason that's happening is you have developers who are burnt out management who's burnt out. It's more of a, a culture thing. And it's uh, something I, I would try to avoid because I, I communication is key for development and any organization that thinks like, Hey, 15 minutes of the debt of a senior dev's time is worth six hours of a junior developer's time. It's just, they're, they're not making, they're not doing basic math at the end of the day. But yeah, I I've done that where I've been, you know, the new guy on the block and I've been struggling through and like, Oh, Hey, you're doing PHP. And then you're like, I never did PHP a day in my life. So I start asking questions about that. And then, you know, you might get one answer, but then it becomes very apparent that you're, your boss or your senior dev is like, listen, you had your one question. We're done. Like it's, it's like, like, bro. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, again, just not a, to me, a sign of a, a bad workplace. Yeah. And I, I think I've been in organizations where they really value mentorship. They really value helping junior devs or interns level up. And then I've been in organizations where it's like, throw you in the deep end sink or swim yes you can ask a senior dev or a team lead for help but you know they're just going to kind of point you in the right direction and you need to figure it out yourself so i mean if you are one of those people that need well if you're a brand new dev we all need quite a bit of help you may have to just take whatever you're stuck on and work 10 hour days the funny thing is after that internship my one of the next jobs i had I was I had transferred into development and I decided that I thought maybe I was in the same work environment even though it was a completely different company. So when I got stuck, I spent 10 hours just trying to figure it out myself and I avoided asking my team lead questions other than just a few questions to get like point in the direction because I was afraid if I would have taken up and monopolized this time for maybe an hour or two trying to help trying to help me, you know, with a problem I was stuck on that I'd, I would uh, reflect on my review. So yeah, I guess it just depends. If you're in a great organization that they kind of value bringing up junior devs, then you're going to be in a much better time. And I would push back on that organizations that don't have that mentorship or don't have that um, mentality of helping junior devs is not necessarily a, a bad company. I mean, you can argue one way or another. It just maybe they value speed and maybe they, they think they're, their senior devs times are more important. And also it could be not the organization's fault, but maybe the senior devs don't are too busy. Maybe they think they don't have time to, to mentor or help junior devs along the way. So I, I think it depends. And also it's all a lot about our personality too. Um, some, some organizations just click better than others. Yeah. And I, I, I think one thing I should clear up is I, I'm not talking about mentoring. I think, I think generally speaking, if you're a junior developer and you're expecting to, to get mentored by other developers, you're probably gonna be disappointed. Like you, uh, you can ask questions and be pointed in a direction, but that's usually the extent of the mentoring. I'm more so talking about collaboration. I'm talking about um, you know working together as a team, and it's very common in those seven out of ten, in my opinion, anyhow, to 
for the developers when they're burnt out to silo themselves as much as possible and be like, listen, I don't care if this guy sinks. I don't care if, if as long as I swim, that's, that's basically it. And uh, I think that's a, a telltale sign. Yeah, I, I guess there is a difference between like mentoring, although there's organizations that value mentoring and then just kind of helping someone that's that's having problems. Yeah, I could see that mentoring is maybe a step up from just helping someone out. You know what this reminds me of is the use of pair programming. I've I was in one job where we tried it for a couple of weeks and I it really worked well. I mean, I would sit there, I would we usually have one so pair programming for those who don't know is a, a system where you have someone that drives and then someone that kind of sits back and and tells you about the code. So you might be the one typing, the other person is kind of explaining their thought process. So you kind of collaborate on on bugs and problems and new features. And so this would be excellent for especially a junior dev when they're first starting out. If you can join an organization that does pair programming, then you are much better off because just pair programming with a senior developer for a day or two or a week on a, a big feature is going to be it's going to level up your skills more than than you sitting at home and trying to figure it out yourself for the next, you know, three weeks. Yeah, and um, sort of in a, a different direction, one of the uh, things that, to me, kind of fall, fall into that same I'm afraid to ask for help is a sort of uh, one sort of a communication thing is pushing back and sort of speaking up to timelines. That is one of the more common things where, I feel like you you get that first job, you're in there for a year or two years, and then you're like, "Hey, when do you want it tomorrow?" Sure, yes, like or just sort of, or it's just silence. I don't know how many times I've ever actually seen a junior dev push back on a uh, timeline. Yeah, it, timelines are a sticky wicket <laughs> for developers, and especially <laughs> for junior developers. I would say most junior developers don't even know how long something will take them, especially anything more complicated than, you know, a quick update or a quick bug fix. And even a bug fix can end up taking three, four times as long. I know some some organizations, hopefully, and we, we talked a little bit about this in the Agile episode, is that the developers are responsible for estimating their, sometimes if you're using like a JIRA system, their tickets, and they'll estimate each one out, and then they're held to those estimates. Although it's not always clear when you, even if you estimate tasks out because you may be waiting for someone else to finish their tasks. So you may not be able to get your task done in a certain time. And then there's things called blockers. But uh, yeah, if you, if, and it, probably you've had more experience than this than me. And actually I, I did, I did have some experience in a job ago where we just were arbitrarily given deadlines and there was no feedback from us. Um, maybe they talked to our boss. I don't even know, but we were just like, okay, April 15th, you need to get X, Y, Z done. And having the courage to like, be like, no, we can't get it done that time. That's, that's really hard, especially for, if you're a junior dev. Yeah. And the scenario that I think is like the nightmare scenario for a junior dev is you're on your computer, you're working on whatever you want. And then you get this sort of knock, knock, knock on the corner of your desk. And it's, you know, it's it's not even your boss usually. It's usually like your boss's boss. <laughs> and they're like, hey, I want this. How long? 
Like, like, like that's that's essentially you get a thirty second pitch. This is what I want. How long? And then you have to, you have, you know, most people, I don't know, five days. Right? Like, right? They'll just throw out a number. In that scenario, or a similar scenario, I I would encourage a lot of of junior devs and just really developers in general. I just I I think hopefully by the time you're a senior dev, you've sort of learned from these mistakes is to. Uh, say you know what? Give me a give me a moment. I'll I'll come back to you in an hour. Uh, let me think about it. Let me investigate. You know, do a little spike on it, and give give a date range, right? So you oftentimes want to give date ranges or a time range with your estimate. You'd say five to ten days estimate if you wanted. You know, with one to two, with just me dedicated to it. But that that is something that I think is a very hard thing to do. Because you're so eager to please, right? You're like, you get that first job and you're like, dude, I'm just trying to keep this job, right? <laughs> like, that's sort of the mentality. You just explained the Zach scenario from Office Space where they come over and like, can we get those TPS reports? And I know, Dylan, you're the one of the few developers in the world have not watched Office Space, which is a travesty. No, I've watched I've oh. watched Office Space. Oh, okay, not for a second yeah. you didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, that, I mean, I've been in that situation three or four times where that you have someone come up to your desk that circumvents all process, right? Forget the scrum master, forget the business analyst, forget your boss. I'm coming to you. Uh, how long? And it's, it's an intimidating thing to do where you, you know, you want to say you want to be like X, Y, and Z. Uh, but instead you have to say question mark, question mark, question mark. Let me get back to you in an hour. And it's, 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 a. Uh, it's hard at times and it's understandable, but these are the things that I think you can prepare yourself mentally for as long as you know, these scenarios happen and how to handle it. You can, you can do quite well. And there's, there's a lot of reasons why you would um, want to do that. The major reason is you'll oftentimes be more respected because if you say five days and realistically it's going to take 10 days or they say, Hey, we need in five days. You don't say anything. They're going to think it's your fault and they're not going to be able to count on you in the future. However, if you're a little bit of a pain in the ass, which is sort of the mentality you have to have sometimes, they'll know that, you know, when Dylan or Eric give an estimate that they're going to hit it nine times out of 10. You know, it depends on your organization. I've been in organizations that have said, like, typically, like your project manager should be playing tackle football or blocking and tackling for you. Is that, is that what they call it? So he should be blocking for you. And so if anybody from anywhere in the organization comes and talks to you, you should be like, Hey, look, talk to my project manager. And if he, if you don't have a project manager and you're in a small organization that doesn't have one, then you say, Hey, look, talk to my supervisor. Then you, then you kind of push that off from you to talk to them. Cause they're the ones that are supposed to stop people from bugging you while you're working. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a, an excellent strategy as well. And correct, right? Like we have people, we have sort of dev support staff is what I call them. Although I I imagine if my project manager or my scrum master sort of knew that's how I referred to them, they may not be up. I'm not sure if that's a derogatory term or not, but that's how I think of them. <laughs> people who like, you know what I mean? Like like people who help me do my job uh, in some form or fashion. But the you know, that, that is another tactic to take and another one where you, you sort of have to speak up and push back, right? You have to say, Hey, 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 yo, yo, let's, I, I get, you didn't want to talk to them or, you know what, but, uh, you know, you politely say, Hey, um, you know, I, 
I don't know what we have on our, you know, in our sprint. I don't know what's planned for next sprint. Um, you should probably really talk to, you know, our, our project manager, our scrum master, whoever's handling that. And we can, you know, they'll let us know if we can, if it's a priority, right? Because it's all, mm-hmm. it all comes back to priorities really at the end of the day. Yeah. And granted, if the CEO of the company comes and talks to you, you may feel a little awkward, be like, hey, either pushing back on the estimate or telling you to go to your boss instead. So you're like, uh, but you know, if some sales guy comes and talks to you, then like blow that guy off. Now you don't, you never blow anybody off, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I mean, that's the scenario. A lot of times you have people coming up there, they're and that's sort of why I paint this picture is it's not even your boss. Usually it's like your boss's boss, or your boss's boss. And it's like you, you, by the time it should have got to you, you have like I, I remember there was a um the um CTO just came up to my desk, asked me to do something. And it's like if I recounted back how many people he jumped, he jumped over like a scrum master, a business analyst, a a dev manager, a director. And like like, bro, there's like four tiers that we just jumped over. Uh but that that will happen. Um uh, and sometimes it, it happens, I would say, at medium. I think like medium and small size companies are like the and some people this will be a very disagreeable statement for some people. But to me, my experience is the medium to small size companies are the worst companies to work for because the small ones are like there's not really you're not going to have any dev support staff to put those blockers up a lot of times. And the medium ones used to be small ones and they're used to just sort of having their hands in everything. Um and so it's it's a little bit harder uh, when you don't have those sort of available blockers there for you. Yeah, you have to have yeah d- smaller the organization. Everybody's on deck to do everything. You might even have your developers like taking phone calls or or doing support tickets, and you don't have a support staff. So I remember I worked for a really small organization, and they did. We went to these people's homes and we installed automation systems like home security, HVAC. We made sure that we, they could control their TVs and media centers with touch screens. And, you know, I was talking to clients when I was on premises. I was doing the helping a little bit with the installation and then spending most of my time programming. And the worst thing is you also have, um, you probably have this at some of the jobs you've had too, Dylan, is sometimes they have to track every single hour that you work so they can bill the client. And then of course the clients don't want to be billed for everything. So they argue. And that way usually companies get pretty good at like documenting exactly what you're doing. So if you are in a organization that's kind of disorganized, like I've been in the, in at times like projects aren't really estimated out. Right. And then, we're doing road, like in that case, we call it road code. We would actually go to the customer site and then we would finish the programming on site, which is kind of a bad practice if you think about it. And then we have to track that time, but then we take lunches. So we can't obviously bill for the lunches. And then if our project manager or some guy comes and talks to us, like we have this meeting for a half hour with them, then we can't bill for that. And so it comes kind of a mess. Um, when you're coming at the end of the week or the month when you have to turn in your timesheets and exactly what you've done. Just kind of a quick tangent on that. Yeah, and to to your earlier point about sort of having your you know all hands on deck, 
at these smaller medium-sized companies i remember i was working at a marketing company that did a you know they had conferences every quarter and for some of them they would have you know you'd, you'd work you rush real quick to get you know whatever you're working on done by so they can make the announcement at the conference and tell everybody how excited they are and all that and then they would have some of the development staff just go and like be a cashier at the conference because you finish your task and like i always thought it was kind of weird but that's that's sort of the mentality a lot of times where you have everyone doing a little bit of everything and um i know i know nowadays i would say no <laughs> i guess as a senior dev i would say no nah, i'm not gonna do that but as a junior dev i, I felt obligated to do a lot of these things but that's sort of how it how it goes sometimes at these uh smaller companies yeah you don't know what you don't know you don't know like oh am i you know i'm a junior dev but i'm also you know doing customer demos and i'm talking to the customers and i'm working the booth and cleaning up things and going to conferences like well that's not typically what a dev does every day to day and you're not going to be as quite as productive when you're doing all this, this stuff and pushing back is good i'm still learning how to push back yeah it's it's not the hardest thing and or not the easiest thing rather and it's it's a bit of a um a bit of a skill not to push not only to push back to, but to push back in such a way that you don't upset who you're pushing back against and you know like i mean and this this isn't just I, nowadays we're not, now we're talking about things that aren't isn't just for junior devs but it's really just an industry thing where uh i remember i was in a uh a call two weeks ago and we were debugging something and we had to install a new package and do all this configuration and you know after we talked with devops and whatnot and then the one of our one of our bosses was like how long is it going to take i mean to get this installed that we just found the name of 10 minutes ago is like dog let me let me get back to you this is gonna happen quite frequently where people want timelines because businesses run off dates unfortunately and uh, i don't i don't see that us getting away from that anytime soon no matter how much uh we try i know you just talked to some junior devs recently can you explain that experience and what, what other questions have they been having and things that we should watch out for yeah so i um i gave a um uh, i i am always happy to do like mentoring and and stuff like that and so um lambda uh school coding a coding boot camp does this thing called inspire talks and i was like sure i'll i'll do one and i i sat for about 45 minutes uh i sat uh i did a video call with for about 45 minutes with uh, about 50 live people and it's recorded somewhere and if i get the recording maybe we'll share it in, in the the link here because it's, it's definitely relevant and one of the the comments that i i got is always about money so there's always the xyz money stuff and um you know at year one how much did you make at year two and i think we've already covered all that in separate stuff but people are generally very concerned about uh what to it what to get by salary history uh, like for year one year two year three year four i think you and, should talk about that like just real briefly mention it because i just gave someone missed the last episodes yeah yeah so we can uh so disclaimer that this is going to vary by your area right so let's throw out the super high expensive areas right we're not talking about southern california or new york but maybe more mid-sized to smaller tech hubs let's take tampa where i'm at or let's take um you know vegas or um 
Denver or even Salt Lake. So some some larger to mid-sized ones. And it's it's going to development's a strange thing because you can the the salaries vary so differently but i'll give you i'll give you my salary i've been a developer uh for about four years now and the very first job that i got i got paid sixty two thousand uh for a base salary that went up to sixty seven thousand uh and this is in tampa florida area sixty seven thousand at three months because i i decided to take a pay increase instead of relocation um at year two by the end of year two uh, I had jumped a job about one year into that first job, to, uh, not necessarily for money, but uh, to go and be, work at a better dev shop, which I, which is an, another thing to know that sort of in the same vein as money is that at that time I turned down 90000 for the seventy five I got because I, I thought that I'd be making six figures if I went to this other uh, tech lead that I could tell was going to provide me a little bit more direction and was very knowledgeable. So by year one, end of year one, I was at 75. End of year two, I was at 105. And then I went to uh, year three, I went to uh, 110. Year four, uh, I'm, I'm in year four. I'm at 115, but my bonuses and benefits increased by about 20 to 30,000. And that's something that you'll sort of, it, it that sort of changes from a junior dev perspective when you're when you're looking for, salary and job jumps you're oftentimes looking for mentorship um, career growth and pay increases i would say by the time you're a senior dev what you're looking for is um, better benefits if you haven't got them already and then really to find a place that you could see yourself um, see that career growth happening and a place that you enjoy working at Uh, which is kind of strange to say because like oftentimes you're like um, cause there's not, there's not much room for you to grow. So like you might want a more laid back environment. You want, might want remote, you, you know, you might see that, oh yeah, there's a bunch of technical roles for ways for a senior dev to grow because it, you can oftentimes feel stuck. So your, your objective for job hopping and salary changes as you progress because you sort of hit this, um, glass ceiling and $10,000 or $15,000 more when you're already making, you know, one fifteen, one thirty. dollars isn't all that much after taxes. That's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I would say too, that if you're listening right now and you've been working for five, six, seven years and you're not making over a hundred thousand, I would say Dylan's kind of the exception to the rule. I don't, I think most developers, unless they're really trying to job hop strategic with their career, going to more expensive places or going, you know, going to a fang type job, which is like Facebook or Google, are probably not going to hit six figures in the first couple of years or at least three years like Dylan did. Um, it usually takes five, 10 years in like a medium cost of living area with a few raises and maybe a couple of job hops to make it. But if you're strategic and 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 you know that there's a couple of really high play, paying places in town, yeah, you could probably hit that, but you have to be really smart with your decisions like Dylan was. Yeah, and, and to that same thing, the best the best way to increase your salary is just with a counter offer. In my opinion, uh, you have the chance of staying at the place if you currently like it. Although I did that and I regretted it later on. Um, because oftentimes if you're looking, you're not just looking to leave for money. You're looking to leave for money and some reasons that aren't going to get addressed usually. So keep, keep that in mind. And then, um, you can always use that counter offer to, 
renegotiate something higher at your current workplace or you know future one and it's also not it's also pretty typical if you don't do the job hopping to get the best raises to be at an organization that starts you at fifty sixty thousand dollars for a junior dev role and even lower honestly if you a lot of places probably pay junior devs like forty thousand forty five thousand especially if you're just in a small web development company that doesn't make a ton of money then then it's not it's pretty common if you do stay at one of those places that you're only going to get your two to five percent increases every year and and sometimes if we have bad years like we had in 2007 2008 2009 when the recession hit you may not even get any raises in fact a lot of a lot of developers lost their job back then where all everybody's knocking on wood right now that another recession isn't around the corner and we're not going to have a, a big layoff like we had back then um but y- you you are going to slowly move up the chain and and you could be a senior dev at a place that pays you you know eighty thousand or seventy five thousand and but you're technically a senior dev and you've been there for like six years uh, i'm saying i'm taking this from experience because that's what happened to me <laughs> for a little while i was um i guess you could call it a little bit underpaid i had been in a, a place for many years and and my salary was not near what it probably should have been and it took me a long time to think of like maybe i should start looking for other opportunities. Yeah. And that sort of uh, reminds me of uh, that, you know, not all junior dev struggles are actually going to come from the workplace. Many people, when they start their junior dev roles are going to go from making, you know, the average person I'd say is a college grad, a boot camp grad, or somebody who's going from a job into a career, right? You're usually not going from a lawyer to or a nurse to, you know, dev. You're, you're going from, student to dev would i'd say it's in some form or fashion so you might go from making 10 or 15 dollars an hour to making 30 dollars an hour with a lot more increases to come or 25 dollars an hour whatever it is and you can get yourself in a lot of trouble uh financially and start shooting yourself in the foot chris hawks has this statement where he's he's i've heard him say it quite a few times in his videos where he says we may be in the golden age of software development and you need to plan for it as if it as if we are meaning you know salaries are high job growth is great but we need to make sure that as our don't always expect your pay to increase and don't always expect to be paid well so you want to keep your cost of living low and you want to save what you can you know save as much as you can and um you know not to say not to enjoy yourself but um don't go and after you get that you know first pay increase uh, or multiple pay increases hopefully uh start spending that money like they're going to keep coming because it it may not it's good advice uh okay so um another great question that i got and i'm interested on your take on this is uh i i have my own on here but for those starting out in the industry is it a depth or breadth that really uh helps with landing that first role and and job hopping from there on that's an interesting question. I've definitely heard both. I've heard of some people say, well, you need to have a breadth or a depth of knowledge. Like you should become the best person ever at React. Like you should d- deep dive into React and maybe even deep dive into like React Router. So that way you can get that specialized job that pays a lot more. Um, on the other hand, I've heard of, and, and I, I understand that that point of view. Like, like for example, um, people rag on 
on Ember.js. In fact, I just had I just saw a thread other, uh, the other day, people saying that they didn't like Angular 2 because they don't like TypeScript and they think it's too hard. But I'm thinking, if you see a lot of people saying, like, I, you know, I don't want to do Angular, I don't want to do Ember, you could think in the back of your head, there's probably not a ton of people that know how to write good quality Angular apps. There's probably not a ton of people that know how to write good quality Ember apps. Maybe that's an opportunity in the marketplace for me to to do. And so that means it's going to be harder to find a job doing Ember development or Angular. Or uh, Angular, I would say, is more common, but it's going to be harder to find one of these niche technologies like Phoenix. Like, for example, you're learning Erlang or Elixir. But I bet those jobs pay a lot more if you can specialize and be really good at it. So that's kind of one thought process. However, when you're a junior dev, you almost are just trying to just get your foot in the door somewhere. And I'm talking to the people that probably either graduated from boot camp or self-taught. Even even with CS degree, it can be hard getting that first job. So if you have, you're not, you're. It's hard to niche down and specialize in something if you don't have any general experience. Like it's okay if maybe if you've been in the industry for two or three years, then to niche down into some topic or something that you really interests you know, that there's not a whole lot of competition for. But when you're just trying to get your foot in the door the first time, I'd almost recommend to look for that breadth of knowledge. Make sure you know the basics of like version control and and can if you're wanting to be web development that you understand how to do HTML, CSS and JavaScript all the basics and that way you can land your land somewhere that maybe maybe it's a job doing PHP and WordPress. Maybe that's okay. Just get your foot in the door somewhere so that way you can start building up some experience. And then once you have a little bit of experience, then specialize into something really niche that you think you're really interested in. Like today, I'd also say one of the niche topics everybody's getting into is data science. That's a little bit harder to do if you don't have a degree. Uh, but data science is big, like AI, stuff like that. You might want to look at um, or specializing in one of these programming languages or frameworks that aren't as popular. I don't know. What do you think, Dylan? Yeah, so I... This is one of those questions where I think the question is flawed. So I think the real question is understanding what's important and what's not. And you, you know, when you look at these job apps nowadays, they're typically passed from one manager one time and then forgotten about. And, you know, recruiters make minor changes here or there and they're handled by typically non um, technical people. And so, being able to understand what is worth learning versus what is not. Like I'll give you an example that I get, you know, I get asked about, should I spend the time to learn Webpack inside and out? No, you shouldn't. You, you know, I, I can't imagine there's an organization that's going to want to, you to memorize Webpack, conf, Webpack config and be like, Oh, great. This is our guy, right? Like, like you want to, you want to learn the things that matter, the HTML, CSS, JavaScript, maybe even the, the framework associated with it, the fundamentals, because these sort of, um, build tools, these packages, all these sorts of things, they come and they go. Um, and being able to see what's actually required and what's important will lend you to see what you need to be familiar with. And then you'll sort of figure out how deep you need to know the things that are important and how what are the things that are requirements and what are the things that are preferred and what are the things that don't matter like every time uh i've gotten asked a couple times how many years of jira experience i get and i laugh every time like it's just like what if i it doesn't matter that doesn't matter at all um you sound silly 
Mr. or Mrs. Recruiter. Uh, but really understanding what is worth your time and energy, I think, is where the question should be. So do you not think that it's okay to specialize in something? Like, for example, Dylan, I know you are really, really good at TypeScript and really good at Angular, and you've been doing conference talks and everything on that. So I think that's a specialization for you. So if you had ever wanted to, you know, heaven forbid something happened and you need to get another job, I bet you could find a company that really enjoys TypeScript and Angular, which I believe... Angular is not the most popular JavaScript framework. We all know that it's React. So that is a highly more specialized job. There's probably less developers out there that know as much as you in TypeScript and Java and uh, Angular. So wouldn't that be kind of a, a good in for you and, and good way for you to to specialize even more in? Yeah, and I, I would evaluate at the time. And this is from a, a senior dev perspective. I evaluate at the time if I'd want to transition, right? It may be, uh, hey, I'm just going to take the first thing that matches my skill set because that'll be easiest. But maybe I'd be worried that down the road I may need to change some frameworks and things like that. But from a junior dev perspective, I generally think that you shouldn't specialize because I, I, I mean, it is true that you only need one job to get started. But I, I would like to open the pool up to as many job possibilities as is uh, feasible, and which sort of, I guess, to answer the question, really leans me towards that breadth, but making sure that it's on the important items and on the important requirements. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I definitely think at first having... I mean, I agree with the point of trying to understand what the question is, and I agree with Numa generally being more breadth, at least at first, and then maybe specialize. I wonder if there is some company out there that's like, Webpack, I need a Webpack specialist to come in, and it's a full-time job, and all he does is configure Webpack for all these different projects, and we need to do these crazy things. And we, at that point, they're probably looking for someone like a core contributor to, to Webpack. By the way, if, if if you're listening right now and you want to specialize Become a core contributor, or not even a core contributor, but a leading contributor to an open source project that you admire or want that's somewhat popular. That will boost you up in the ranks of, of jobs that use that technology if you were like, hey, I'm I'm a core, core maintainer of this project. Yeah, don't do what I do, which is I just make feature requests. <laughs> That's all I do in the issue. Feature requests, add this. And I get, then they say, well, why don't you build as an, and then I just go, I just lurk. I never respond back. <laughs> don't do that. Like, that ain't going to help. Yeah, that's the favorite thing of open source contributors is that anytime you get a feature request, you can be like, you can do it yourself. <laughs> if, <laughs> especially if it's like completely off the wall, but that's another topic. Yeah. All right. Was there uh, any other this struggle that you, uh, that we needed to cover? I mean, there's a ton. We could be here for five days and talk about the uh, the hardships of the junior dev lives, senior <laughs> dev life, and architect life, and just corporate America life, I guess. I know one struggle that we've touched on a few times in past episodes is that um, it, depending on the job you're looking for, that being able to pass interviews is a difficult process and that's definitely a struggle for junior devs and that there's no really there's no real answer to that conundrum if you're using whiteboarding interviews and you're going to have to grind 
grind leak code and, and other places where you can learn algorithms. If you are doing uh, junior dev positions for web development, you're probably going to get a take-home projects. You're going to have to learn how to, to do those. You might have to do coding tests online are now becoming more and more popular. I think that's a big struggle, just getting getting through the interview process and then and then uh, how you learn from it. But yeah, I mean, that... just we've talked about it in our rejection episode, but it's it's still a real thing. I think we could probably do an episode on algorithms and and interview advice too. I think we've kind of touched around it, danced around it, but not directly talked about it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go deep into the interview. <laughs> that's that's a <laughs> that's a that's an excellent point. And it's also one of the um, more hated aspects of being a developer. And I, I wish I had more insight into other industries interviewing because my, my gut tells me that the interview process for, for developers is significantly harder than other industries, but I don't know that to be true. Um, it just seems like such a... Like the few people I've talked to in other fields, they're like, yeah, I go in, I meet some people, um, I, I leave, I go in one more time and then I meet their boss and then I'm hired. I'm like... Dude, I'd kill for that interview. Like, like, like my interview is <laughs> never like that. Um, and it feels like more junior. It depends on. I guess it depends on the company. Some companies will get take it easy on juniors, but I've seen the opposite too, where junior devs are run through the gauntlet, meaning either four hour interviews or eight hour interviews. So usually like a phone screening that can be 20 minutes long where they ask you some behavioral questions, then a technical phone screening, which could be 20 or 30 minutes where they just quiz you on technical topics that you may or may not know. And then if you pass the gauntlet between those two, then you get the on-site interview, which could be anywhere between a couple hours to a lot of times full day interviews, which you're meeting multiple teams. There could be multiple rounds of whiteboarding. There could be a computer test somewhere in the middle where you have to finish that. And then if you're even especially unlucky, you might have to meet with HR to have like a behavioral type test and then maybe pair programming at the end of the day. And this has become the normal for especially more for software development jobs in general, I guess. Yeah, and then you got to sacrifice a goat in 2020. That's at the end <laughs> to really show that you're committed. Um, now, here's something I found somewhat interesting. I wonder if this aligns uh, the same for you. But as I've progressed in my career, my interviews have actually gotten easier. And it's not easier as in I've become a better developer, although that is definitely true. They just seem that the senior level roles seem to be an easier interview process than when I was going for junior level roles and I was getting started. It's I have had some easier and then some just even harder. I had one with, I probably shouldn't name names. I had one with a big phone type company a few years ago where it was 30 minutes on the phone, behavioral question, then another 30 minutes, um, a technical, and then a 30 minute, actually it was an hour long, screen share with the manager of the department and I had to create a game where I was mo like a snake type game where you had to move things around and it was all done in jQuery and then the next process which I didn't pass that I guess I they made it progressively harder too it was like five parts and the first two parts were like can you get a cursor or can you get this avatar this picture on the screen can you move the avatar around and third was like, could you eat the apples to make the avatar look bigger? 
And then there was like even a harder part. It was like, number four, can you uh, implement this part of it in five? And then I didn't pass it. And number f- and if I would have passed that, I would have gone to a, a on-site interview, which was just like I was explaining before with multiple rounds of interviews with different teams and whiteboarding and computer test and then an architecture test. That's one thing I've noticed more with senior like senior developer roles. They want to ask you about architecture. Like, okay, can you tell me how would you design this this system? Like what backend systems would you use? What front end systems would you use? What databases would you use? And then map it all out. So that's what I've seen, especially with bigger companies. And then occasionally you'll get a company that is like, hey, I've seen your resume. I've seen what you've done in the past. You know, we're going to kind of just ask you a few, I don't know, um, softball questions, maybe ask you a few technical questions, and then we'll make you an offer. But it feels like I'm still getting a lot, although I'm not interviewing right now. When I was trying to move jobs, I was still getting a lot of the the huge technical long interviews. So I, I guess my experience isn't quite quite as quite like that. You know, it might also be that with those interviews that have been coming my way that are similar to what you described, I typically, if they'll be like, this is the interview process, I'll ask for about fifteen dollars to $20,000 more than I would ask for an easier interview process <laughs> because it's like, I'm going to go through an Olympic job interview right now. Like that, that's, it's just a exceptional job interview that it has to be financially worth it. Like the payoff, like I, I can't go through all that to get it equally paying or $5,000 more. I need, I need a solid 10, 20 K raise here uh, to even make it worth the, the effort that's in there. And oftentimes that might scare them away if I'm pushing in the higher price range, but it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine going like, say you went through that interview process, you nailed it, you studied, put all this time in, and then they hit you with something that paid like five or 10 grand less than your previous job or your current job. You're like, dude, is this how you get yeah. people? Is this how you get people? <laughs> look, you get them to invest all this time and energy and then you lowball them. Uh, but, uh, maybe that's a strategy, man. I don't know. These, these HR people are, are crafty nowadays. And you always get the recruiter. Some recruiters, if you get a good recruiter, they'll ask you for your, and this is kind of a crafty question. And some people say you shouldn't answer it. They ask you how much you're making now and then what your expected salary is. So if you answer what you're making now, that kind of puts a um, a level to whether they know how much to pay you, how much they can offer you. So if you say you're making $100,000, they'd probably be like, oh, I can offer them 120000 and they'll be okay. But if you don't, if you like give them a range, like I make a hundred thousand to one hundred and forty thousand, then that's a little bit better. Or if you say nothing, like yeah, I'm sorry, I don't disclose how much I make, then then that's like the best, and they can't they can't lowball you. But there's a lot of strategies when you when you get to that point. Yeah, now we're sort sort of getting off tangent, and I could we could do a whole episode on recruiters, and maybe we should. Yeah, get you make sure you don't fall for any of these these lies that so like not to go too deep but recruiters are sort of salespeople like the ones at companies that trust a little bit more but the ones that are like external agencies not so much like i had one that messaged me the other day pay 150k for a dev that's pretty good man let me let me you know what's this company and he told me and then like i went on Glassdoor, and the number one thing i saw for development was underpaid i was like you ain't paying 150k you liar <laughs> like <it's>, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh anyhow so the struggle, as the kids say, is real for the junior devs. And 
sometimes it gets a little easier, but sometimes not. But life is good at the end of the day for developers. For sure. I'll leave it at that. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you want to find more about what I'm up to, go to dylanisrael.com. And if you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out my website at eric.video. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you do, you might even be featured on our next episode. Don't forget to check out the website at selftaughtornot.com. From there, you can sign up for a mailing list where we give away free courses and a bunch of cool stuff. And we'll also let you know when the next episode comes out. And finally, if you didn't know, we have a Facebook group. It's called Code Tech and Caffeine. We have over 10,000 members and you can find the link at selftaughtornot.com. So come join us. We have tons of developers willing to help you guys, mentor you guys. Check it out. Just make sure you go to selftaughtornot.com and check out the Code Tech and Caffeine link. Thanks and take care.